Let's look at this passage at the end of James 3, starting with verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambitions in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, of the devil. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. Thank you, Vern. Well, good morning. Good to be with you here at the end of the summer as we gear up for fall. When you have a question or a problem, where do you go for wisdom? Where do you go for wise counsel when you need it? Think about that. Pastor friend of mine <clears throat> didn't know the Lord. He'd been serving in the military during the Korean War. And he got out of the military and ended up just walking on the beach one day trying to figure out what to do with his life. And some Jesus people came up to him and shared about Jesus with him. Well, he had never heard about Jesus. And they left and he was thinking, okay, where can I go to find out if this Jesus thing is true? Where do I go to find out the truth about him? So he thought, I know, I'll go to the expert. I'll go to a minister. So he knocked on the door of a church. The minister came to the door and he said, Go away. I'm busy. Don't interrupt me. Come back some other time. Well, my friend Walt was trying to figure out, Well, where do I go now? Where, how can I find out the truth? He thought, I know. I'll go to the library and look in an encyclopedia. So 50 years ago, where else would you go? So he we went to the library, pulled out, the encyclopedia looked under J for Jesus Christ. It described Jesus' life. It described his death. It described his resurrection. And based on what he read in the encyclopedia, Walt gave his life to Christ. And now 50 years later, he's still serving the Lord, as far as I know. See, for him, he was looking for wisdom. And in those days, where do you go? He went to the expert. He couldn't get any help there. So he looked in an encyclopedia. I remember in 1964 when our family bought a set of World Book encyclopedias from a traveling salesman. Some of you know what I'm talking about. And they, we bought those into our house and I thought, wow, look at all this information. I could just pull it out, look up something and there's an article and, and find out all about it. Isn't that incredible? I did an internet search this week. Google search, typed in Jesus Christ, in .06 seconds, six hundredths of a second, I had 14,500,000 hits. <laughs> Information has kind of expanded, hasn't it? <laughs> but the thing is, what do you do with all that information? How do you sift through it? How do you figure out what's true? 
14 million hits? Imagine if my friend Walt had looked at that. How would he have ever figured out what's true? Is Jesus real or not? There's so much out there, and yet, how do you sift through and discern what real wisdom is? That's the question. Newsweek in July. Across the top it says, 181 things you need to know now. Boy, if you didn't read this, you are in big trouble. (laughs) Is this where you should go for wisdom? Does Newsweek really know what we need to know? (laughs) Does the newspaper? Where do you look for wisdom? Where do you go when you need help, when you need wise counsel? Our culture is so focused on knowledge somehow that if you just gain enough knowledge, you'll be able to fix your problems. You'll be able to handle life. Listen to this quote. I actually got off a Starbucks cup. The place of true wisdom today, okay? (laughs) It was a quote by Jimmy Wales, the founder of Wikipedia. Okay, some of you may not know what Wikipedia is. It's an online encyclopedia that you can contribute to. Anybody can contribute to the articles of this massive online encyclopedia. He founded it, and this is what he said. Imagine a world where every single person on the planet is given free access to the sum of all human knowledge. Wikis, Wikipedia and related services, give us a place where anyone who is kind, thoughtful and intelligent can come and join us in building a better and more rational world. Now, I want you to listen very carefully to what Jimmy Wales is saying there. He's saying if only we could give everybody the sum of knowledge, the sum of information, if everybody had access to the right information, we together could build a better and more rational world. Sounds good, but is it true? Is it true that if we just had more information, that the world would be a better place? Well, I think if you're honest, you think about it for a moment, you know that's not true, right? And the more information we get as a society and the more access we have to the Internet, and it's overwhelming the amount of information we can gather, and yet has the world gotten any better or more rational? (laughs) Do we do any better at loving our spouses as a culture, as a world? Loving our kids? getting along with one another in general? Do we do any better as nation to nation? Have we avoided more wars and conflicts? No. No, none of that's changed. Don't be fooled by what the world tells you that, hey, the answer to everything is more information, more knowledge. And if you just get more, get the right information, you'll figure it all out. Truth is, we're just as messed up as we've always been, even though we have so much more information and knowledge than we've ever had. So what's the problem? (laughs) 
Well, James is addressing that very thing in the passage we're talking about, we're looking at today. He's concerned about that same issue. Because in their culture, they looked up to those who knew it all, the wise. But what he's teaching them very clearly is, you know what? Knowledge is not the answer to our problems. Insight is not the answer. It's not how much you know that allows us to live life well. It's what you do with the information you have. It's not how much you know. It's what you do with what information you have. It's how you use what you know. And so he makes a contrast in our passage between earthly wisdom and heavenly wisdom. You see, our world is dying today for a lack of true wisdom. We have lots of information, but we have very little true wisdom. And so the challenge in our passage today from James and from the Lord is for us to begin to say, okay, let's understand what true wisdom is and let's begin to seek true heavenly wisdom rather than earthly wisdom. So let's dig in to this challenge together as we look at James chapter 3, the passage that Vern read, starting in verse 13. James begins this way. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good life, by deeds done in the humility, or another word, gentleness, probably a better translation, in the gentleness that comes from wisdom. He begins and says, who among you is wise and understanding? You need to understand that these words are technical terms of the day. You see, there was a group of people that were considered the wise. The wise were the teachers, the scribes, the philosophers, those who sat around and were the brilliant ones who understood things. They were the Bible scholars. They were the philosophers that everybody looked up to, and that's who you went to if you needed wisdom. The wise. And he says, who among you is wise? Who are the wise? Think about who the smartest people you know are. Maybe they're the wise of our day. He says, who is wise and understanding among you? The word for understanding there means to have insight in a particular area where you have deep insight. He's really talking about an expert. Now, many of you are experts in your particular field. You know a lot about a particular area because you've spent a lot of time in your job or on your own exploring a particular area. You'd be an expert in that. That's what an expert is. Someone who has a lot of insight, deep insight in one particular area. Today we live by experts, don't we? Because the world's gotten so complicated. It used to be that people could be a jack of all trades and know a lot of broad knowledge and be able to handle life pretty well. But you know what? It's not like that anymore. I used to be able to tune my own car and change the spark plugs. Our last car, I couldn't even get to the spark plugs, much less change them. You see, the world's gotten more complicated, so we need experts to fix our refrigerators. And we need experts, we think, to fix our marriages, to fix our emotions, to fix our careers, to fix our lives. You see, we have this mentality, don't we, in this world that you need experts, people with insight who can 
give you what you need, the insight you need to make your life better. And as Christians, we, we think this way too. And, and you, you need experts sometimes. But so often I see us as Christians always looking for an expert in something to maybe make our lives a little better, maybe make us more spiritual or to fix our relational problems or whatever it might be. So we look for the latest book. Ah, this is it. This is the answer. Or we go to the latest seminar or we try to figure out whatever it is that will give us the latest insight, knowledge to fix our lives. But has it worked? Is your life all better and more rational, as Jimmy Wales said? You see, there's, there's some disconnect here. Somehow it isn't more knowledge that's going to fix our lives. And that's what James is getting at here. Notice what he says. If you're wise and understanding, let him show it by his good life, by deeds done in the gentleness that comes from wisdom. James says the true expert, the true wise person, is the person who knows how to live a good life. He's tying it back into the Old Testament because wisdom in the Old Testament doesn't have a lot to do with knowledge. It has to do with having the moral skill of living life well. And the word for good that James uses here, there's several words for good in the New Testament. But this one is one that particularly means beautiful or attractive. He says, you want to know who a wise person is? Look at their life. Is it attractive? Is it a beautiful life? Is it the kind of life that you would like to live? That's a wise person. That's wisdom. That's the kind of person you should imitate and look to for true wisdom. And he says, uses this phrase, the gentleness of wisdom. You see, real wisdom has a gentleness about it where you feel drawn in. And we'll look at this more in a moment, but think for a moment about wisdom in that way. See, so often the really smart people we know, do you really feel drawn into them? Do you feel drawn into their lives? Do you feel welcomed into their lives or do you feel like, They're kind of looking down on you. (laughs) You see, worldly wisdom, that's what tends to happen too often. So James, right off the bat, says, hey, let me help you understand that real wisdom has to do with a beautiful life. But to make sure we understand it, he goes on to contrast worldly wisdom, earthly wisdom, and heavenly wisdom. So we'll understand more where real wisdom comes from and what it looks like. So he says this, verse 14. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, of the devil. First, he gives us the qualities of earthly wisdom. He gives us two. Bitter envy is the first. Bitter envy. You know what envy is. It's that you've got what I want, or we're in competition with one another. It's a sense of rivalry. It's a sense of, I want to put myself above you. It's using knowledge, the knowledge you have, to feel superior to someone else who doesn't have your knowledge. 
That's worldly wisdom. You see, that's natural for us, isn't it? That's, that's part of our humanness is we want to feel superior to others and to use our knowledge to feel superior. And that's what happens too often. We use our knowledge to feed our own ego. That's worldly wisdom. Think about what our media does constantly. It's always digging into someone's past to try to make them look bad. I think there's a pride about that. There's a judgmentalness about that. Using knowledge to put yourself above others, to destroy others' reputation. But you notice that's in us too? How we want to know the latest dirt about somebody and it makes us feel a little superior? That's worldly wisdom. That's worldly wisdom. Another characteristic of worldly wisdom is selfish ambition, is the other phrase he uses. Selfish ambition. It's, I want to get ahead. (laughs) I will create conflict. I'll put others down so I can get ahead of them. Now, this word was used specifically in James's day of politicians. Where the politicians of James's day in that Greek-Roman world, there would be this sense of competition and they would try to dig up the latest dirt on their rivals so that they could point it out and let everyone know the problem with them so that you would want them to be your leader, not the other person. Now, fortunately, many years later, 2,000 years later, our politicians are much more enlightened. (laughs) We don't have that problem today, right? (laughs) Nothing's changed, has it? But that's worldly wisdom. It's using knowledge for your own ends. Using knowledge for your own selfish ambition. Trying to get ahead for yourself. And our world's so topsy-turvy that we've kind of gotten confused about wisdom and knowledge and how to use it. And So we have, we have movies like Ocean's Eleven, Ocean's Twelve, Ocean's Thirteen, where people who are very clever very knowledgeable, have this wonderful scheme and can trick everybody else. But if you really think about it, it's a bunch of criminals. They're just criminals. Using their knowledge, being very clever to get what they want. That's worldly wisdom. And our world wants us to raise those people up and say, they're wise. And James says, no, they're foolish. They don't know how to live life well. That's selfish ambition. But you know, when you're an expert, and and many of us here in this room are experts, like I said, in some area. We have deep insight in a particular area that we've gotten pretty good at. An occupational hazard of that is that it does feed our egos. We do fall into selfish ambition, competition, wanting to put ourselves above others and feel better about ourselves because of that. Some of the most brilliant Bible scholars I've known personally, they're a lot smarter than I am. I've seen them use that knowledge to kind of build their own kingdom. And you see the results in their lives. You see conflict. You see divisiveness. You see destruction. And they're brilliant. But many of you have experienced that in different churches because somebody knew a lot, but it was worldly wisdom, not 
heavenly wisdom. So James says, hey, if that's in you, don't boast about it or deny the truth. You know, don't think you're so hot. (laughs) If you've got bitter envy and selfish ambition, you ain't so wise. In fact, he goes on to say, let me tell you where it comes from. It's earthly, unspiritual. It's of the devil. Worldly wisdom is earthy. It's of this world. It's human. The word for unspiritual is soulish. It comes out of the soul. It comes out of our feelings, out of our needs, out of our wants. It comes out of us, but not from God. And the result is then... Verse 16, for where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. The fruit of earthly wisdom is strife, it's conflict, it's divisiveness. You can always tell where worldly wisdom, even if people are really brilliant, you can always tell when it's been there because it's left these waves of divisiveness, of conflict between people. Difficulty, disorder, rather than bringing people together and bringing peace, which we'll see heavenly wisdom always produces. Now, we need to be careful. All of us face conflict. And Jesus himself, who is obviously the most wise human that ever lived, being God as well, he experienced a lot of conflict. Okay, but his conflict was because he was living a life of gentleness and peacemaking and redemption. And people couldn't handle that. But let's explore a little more what heavenly wisdom looks like so we'll understand what heavenly wisdom really is. It says in verse 17, but the wisdom that comes from heaven, okay, first he tells us the source. Worldly wisdom comes from the devil, It's influenced by Him and it comes from the earth. Heavenly wisdom comes straight from heaven. It's only from Him. Heavenly wisdom can only be produced by God. Only He is the one that gives us true heavenly wisdom. It reflects His character. It's not a part of this world. It's part of the kingdom of God invading this world in His people. It stands out because it's so different from worldly wisdom. And he goes on to describe it for us. He gives us eight qualities of heavenly wisdom so that we'll really understand what it's like. And in these eight qualities, I think he's painting a picture. It's like a painting and you pull out this kind of paint and then you do this and then you do that. And it doesn't look like much at first, but when you get it all on there, you see a beautiful portrait, a beautiful picture. Well, let's look together. And I think these eight qualities that James gives us paint a picture for us of what heavenly wisdom's like that's so different from the kind of wisdom that Newsweek or other places might tell us is wisdom. So the first one he says is this. Wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure. First of all pure. It's foundation. It's pure. It's untainted. The motives of someone who has heavenly wisdom are never... Never for themselves. You never feel like it's selfish ambition. You never feel like when you're around a truly wise person, heavenly wisdom, you never feel like their motives are tainted or twisted or like they're trying to get something from you or impress you with who they are. 
or how smart they are. You have this sense that their knowledge is not to use you, but rather their knowledge is used to bless you. Okay, so the motive, there's purity there. There's this, there's a deeper purity where it's untainted by selfish ambition or envy. Second quality, peace-loving. Heavenly wisdom is always trying to get along with others, doing whatever you can to bring health and harmony to relationships. What a contrast with earthly wisdom, right? Which is trying to set us apart, and I want to be above you, and I want to prove myself and impress you. No, heavenly wisdom says, hey, I want to create peace. I want to create harmony in relationships because that is what I value. That's what God values. So seeking to get along, not creating conflict, but rather avoiding it wherever possible. Third quality of heavenly wisdom is being considerate. Now this word, another translation of it is forbearing. Now that's an old word. But I really like that word, forbearing. It means you bear up with others' faults, others' failures, others' struggles. You bear with it. You don't condemn it. You don't put it down. You don't act smarter than them or anything else. Rather, you bear with struggling, weak people. You want to stick with it. Okay, That's a very different view, isn't it, than worldly wisdom? which promotes self. No, I want to I promote you. I want to bear with you. I want to stick with you in relationship no matter what. The fourth term he uses, fourth quality, is submissive. Great word here. Because the word means easily persuaded, teachable. Isn't that a great quality of wisdom? Now again, think about the really smart people you know. The wise of this world, are they teachable? Are they easily persuaded? See, I think it stands against worldly wisdom, which says, I've got the answers. I don't need to learn anything from you, but I can sure tell you what you need to know. (laughs) Okay? No, heavenly wisdom says, you know what? I don't know it all. I'm willing to learn from you, no matter who you are. And I will hold my convictions firmly, but I'm willing to hear your side of it and I'm willing to change. I'm willing to be easily persuaded. What a great quality. What a great quality. But it's not normally what we think about in wisdom in our world, is it? The fifth quality is full of mercy. Again, this stands against worldly wisdom. Because... Full of mercy, the idea of full is that it's just overflowing. It's a character quality that you look at and you go, wow, that person really is distinguished by that. And in this case, it's mercy. Now, is this a quality you normally associate with wisdom? I would guess not. Not in our world. But he's saying that heavenly wisdom has this quality of full of mercy. And mercy is where... You embrace people who are struggling. You easily extend forgiveness. They may not deserve it, but you extend it anyway. You see, that's what Jesus does with us. He extends mercy to us when we don't deserve it. And he's saying someone who's heavenly wise is the kind of person that when you're around them, no matter how much you're struggling, 
you feel like they embrace you and they say, you know what, it's okay, I'm with you. I'll walk with this, through this with you. I'm on your side. And you feel mercy from them. It overflows in their lives. The next quality is full of good fruits. Again, what overflows in them is character. I think that's what he's talking about here. Character. There's, there's a life that you'd want to imitate. You look at their lives and you go, man, there's some great qualities there. I really want to be like him or her. Full of good fruit. Integrity. You like what you see. Now, isn't this a... This, portrait we're painting, isn't this very different than worldly wisdom? Someone who has all the answers and you go to them and no, this is somebody who their life is beautiful and you feel drawn to want to be like them. Two more qualities. Number seven, impartial. Impartial. The word impartial has an idea of being non-judgmental. You don't draw firm lines. You're not critical or divisive. You don't favor those who are smart or those who agree with you. No, you're, you're very concerned about justice and what's right and the care of the poor and, and the oppressed. That's someone who's heavenly wise. Heavenly wise. They're impartial. You don't feel judged by them. They don't take sides just out of arbitrariness. No. You feel loved and cared for by them. And the final word is sincere. This is the word literally unhypocritical. Now, hypocrisy in the Greek language, this word is, was to wear a mask as an actor. To pretend to be someone else than you are. So to be unhypocritical is to be sincere or genuine. You, this is the kind of person you're around and you never feel like you're not getting the whole picture. You never feel like they're pulling the wool over your eyes. You never feel like there's a hidden agenda that isn't really coming out. But you just kind of feel it's there. No, someone who's heavenly wise is someone you just feel is really genuine. They genuinely care about you. And there's no hiddenness about it. There's no pretending. There's no hidden agenda. What you see is what you get. Now, as you step back and look at this picture of these eight qualities, what do you see? I see Jesus. <laughs> I see Jesus, who is the wisest person who ever lived and yet had a gentleness where people who were struggling and hurting felt drawn to him and wanted to be with him. And James is saying, that's wisdom. That's insight, because nobody can live a life like that unless they have true, heavenly insight. Worldly wisdom looks very different. Very different. So the result, then, is in verse 18. Peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. You see, the result of heavenly wisdom is peace and righteousness. A peace where relationships are brought together... People are encouraged to love one another better. Someone who has heavenly wisdom uses their knowledge to strengthen relationships, to encourage people to get along, to work through difficult things, to not tear people apart and create division because I'm smarter than you, I have the answers and you don't. No, it's, hey, let's get together and I'll use whatever I know to help us get along and learn to love each other and walk in righteousness, 
in the kind of life, really that's what righteousness is, it's the kind of life that's beautiful, that's attractive, that James began this whole passage with. Our world is terribly confused about wisdom. Our world thinks if we could just somehow gain more knowledge, we'd be okay, we could fix our problems, we could get along. And it's just not true, folks. No, what we desperately need, what this world desperately needs, is not just a little more knowledge. What we need is people that are heavenly wise, that have learned to walk with God in a way that their lives are attractive and beautiful. And people say, you know what? I know a lot, but I don't know how to love my wife. I don't know how to get along with my kids. I don't know how to get along at work. I don't know how... But I see something in you and I want it. The world's desperate for that kind of wisdom. When I was in Indonesia, we, when we went this summer, it was a wonderful trip. And one of the things that struck me so much was observing Nick Armstrong, our field staff, Nick and Laura are over there, and how he conducted his ministry. Nick does a lot of relief work. And we went with him one day into this village that had been completely flattened by an earthquake in Jogjakarta area. And as we went in this village, we saw houses being rebuilt in various stages. But what struck me more than anything, beyond the good work that was being done in helping people get their houses back, was the way Nick and his ministry went about doing this. So often, missions has had this history of coming into an area and saying, we have the answers to your problem. And let me tell you how we are going to fix you. And we've imposed ourselves wherever we've gone too often in missions. But here's what Nick does. He comes in, he brings Indonesians who understand the culture really well, and he works with them, Indonesian Christians. They came into this village and they sat down with the community, the whole community, the leaders and everyone. And they said, OK, we want to help. We have resources. How can we help you? How can we work with you? How can we encourage you? How can we be part of what you are doing? What's the best way to do this? And they talked it out. This is a Muslim village, but they're working with them, encouraging them, communicating with them, and letting the community make the decisions about who gets a new house and who doesn't. And the community is brought together in a wonderful way. It's created a oneness. An elderly gentleman came up on a motorcycle while we were there. He saw Nick. He knew who he was. He came up to him and he said, Hey, I need a bigger house. I've got a motorcycle. I I need a garage. And Nick said, you know what? If you need that, your community will decide that together. The village will decide that together. And the guy said, they'll never give me a bigger house. And you know what? That's exactly the way it should work. Here's Nick coming in, working with the community, creating a oneness. And all of a sudden, these Muslims are saying, wow, you guys do missions very differently than anyone else. You come in and you do do relief work very differently. Why do you do it this way? Who are you? And it's opened up all kinds of doors to discuss who Jesus is. 
They're coming in as peacemakers to create unity and peace, not with worldly wisdom imposing themselves on others. We need heavenly wisdom, wisdom that's gentle, kind, full of peace, full of godliness. Only that kind of wisdom can change the world, can change our neighborhoods, can change your family. Where do we get it? Well, Rod already preached on it when he began James. Let me read chapter 1 again. A couple of verses. Verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. True wisdom comes from God, comes from his word, comes from being close to him. And as we as a community seek his wisdom and learn to encourage one another and live out wisdom where we seek to build one another up and encourage each other to walk with the Lord more, more closely and we're peacemakers and we're gentle, not putting ourselves above one another but learning to walk together as a community, we will be a community of peace a community of gentleness, a community of wisdom in a world that's completely lost and has no idea where to find wisdom. Well, wisdom comes from Jesus. 